Okay, so continue in our, our series. We're in the book of Romans. Um, last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 8, um, down to verse 17. And this week we're looking at Romans chapter 8, um, verses 18 through to 25. Um, and the passage deals with the idea that um, creation at, at the present time, in, in the time that we're in now, is subject to decay. And there's suffering in the world, as we know. All of us um, experience it. Um, and there's suffering, and there's death, and there's all these things that indicate we're in a broken world. And it highlights that we as believers are included in that. We're part of creation, and we're part of these uh, present sufferings that we'll look at. But we're also told that a time will come when these sufferings and this pain will cease, and the creation will be freed from, from its broken state, and we'll come into a full realisation of what's called our adoption to sonship. So they're the things that we're going to look at in this passage. So we'll, we'll begin by just reading um, from verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 down to verse 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. <clears throat> I have to forgive me if I'm a bit shaky this morning. It's pretty cold in here, but <laughs> um, we'll press on. But. So um, as we've commented, um, the passage deals with this, this state that creation is in at the moment. Um, we considered a few weeks ago the idea of um, death coming into the world through Adam and life coming into the world through Christ. And that is kind of a, a precursor to this idea that we're thinking about now. This idea that um, creation is subjected to frustration, as it says in verse 20. This is, um, this is Paul telling us what the current state of the world is. Um, and, the, and it's the reason for the, the present sufferings that were mentioned in verse 18. It's this idea that, we're, as I say, we're living in a broken world and it's because of sin coming into the world through Adam, as we thought a few weeks ago. Um, in Genesis 3 and 17, God says to Adam, after he's, he's sinned and he's, he's eaten from the, the, fruit, the tree that he wasn't meant to eat from, God says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And perhaps this is what Paul is referencing in his letter. Um, this idea that because of sin and because sin came into the world, the world was under a curse. The phrase used is subjected to frustration. And um, it's worth just thinking about the idea that, um, as Paul says, it's not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So that gives us an indication that this isn't something that's happened um, outside of God's control and, and as, as something that's, that's ruined God's plan, but... Um, the, the fact that it says 
by the will of the one who subjected it, tells us that perhaps this is part of God's plan. Um, people often say, um, people who are, are sceptical of God or who are struggling with the idea of, of suffering in the world, people, not, people often say, if there is a God, why is the world in the state that it's in? Why so much death and suffering? Why would a God who's meant to be good and all-powerful make things this way? Was he either not able or perhaps not willing to create everything perfect? A world with no suffering and just um, eternal happiness right from the beginning. Well, we, we get a glimpse of the answer to those things here. When we consider that Genesis verse, cursed is the ground because of you. Um, it shows that the arrival of sin into the world had devastating consequences beyond just Adam and Eve who were the ones who sinned. Um, we already saw this when we considered Romans 5 a few weeks ago. Um, again, the idea of death through Adam and life through Christ. It told us that because of Adam's sin, the creation was subjected to frustration, as we've read in, in our verses today. Um, so these verses in, in verse 20 and 21 of our passage today, um, here we see that God, in his infinite wisdom, had a plan even after the fall for his creation. And this, this really helps us with this idea of why is there so much suffering in the world if, the, if there's a good and an all-powerful God. Because it, it makes us realise that we tend to see ourselves at the centre of the universe. We have this idea that um, we might say, if God is good, then his primary duty is to minimise our suffering and to maximise our happiness. And, and for a lot of people, this is what it means for God to be good. And um, for many people, it's at the heart of why they struggle with the existence of suffering alongside the existence of God. Because we have this re requirement in us that God must act in a certain way. Otherwise, he's not living up to our expectations. If God is good, he should do X, Y, Z. This is what we, we tell ourselves and what we, we think about God. But when we, we look at the, the verses we've read today and, and the verse in Genesis and in other places as well, we, we see that God has his own purposes for his creation. And it goes beyond just our suffering or our happiness. But right from the beginning, he's had a purpose for his own creation. And as we've thought, creation was cursed because of sin. But it was God's will that it should be subjected to frustration because of sin. Um, but crucially, it doesn't stop there. And, and we're glad to see that there's, there's that word hope in, verses, in verse 20. Um, the hope that one day there'll be a liberation from this frustration. And that will come to pass in God's time. So to sum up then, um, this idea of, of creation being God's and it being bigger than just ourselves and our own suffering, we can say that all of creation is God's and it's his to do with as he wishes. It's something that's looked at more in, in Romans chapter 9, which, which isn't part of our series of talks, but um, famously Romans chapter 9 deals with God's sovereignty over his creation and his purposes for his creation. Just to take a couple of verses from that chapter, um, Romans 9, uh, verses 20 to 21 says, So what is formed, say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make up the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes, and some for common use? It's a, it's a really difficult passage to, to wrestle with, that Romans chapter 9. 
And it's something that um, many, many Christians struggle to interpret. Um, it's, it's to do with the idea of um, determinism and, and salvation, all those kind of things. But the simple thing we can take from it in, in the context of the Romans 8 passage that we're looking at today, we can realise that God is the potter and we are the clay, as we often say. And he has the right to, to use that clay for special purposes or for common use. And he has the right to do with his creation whatever he wills. So it's not for us to question our suffering or, or why God doesn't give us everything we want. And yet we are told that one day the creation, God's creation, will be liberated from its bondage to decay, as we read in verse 21. And we'll have a, little, a, a look at what that means a little, a little later on. <clears throat> so that's the first thing to take. We, this, the state of creation as it is now, subjected to frustrate, frustration, and this idea that we're living in a broken world because of sin. But it's not just creation that's groaning, as, we, as we've read in our passage. Um, verse 23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So that's saying that we as believers are also caught up in this idea of, of suffering and, and a broken world. And I think we experience this in two different ways. Number one is we're part of creation. So we're part of the things we've been talking about already. Um, as part of God's creation, we share in the sufferings of creation. And all of us experience all kinds of suffering in all, in all kinds of ways. Um, in the sense of being uh, mortal humans who are, who are in this world. So we do experience some of the same sufferings as everyone else, but we can have a different perspective on them because of our position as Christians. Um, David spoke last week in, in, our, um, in the beginning of Romans 8. David mentioned that we as Christians should be viewing death as the gateway to an eternity with God. That's a perspective that, that no one else can have, isn't it? If... if um, if we don't have this view of God and this view of salvation, that one day we'll be united with God and we'll be um, brought to be with God after death. If we don't have that perspective, we can't have this perspective on suffering. But we do have this perspective that one day we'll be called home and we'll be called to be with God for eternity. And that should have a, a drastic effect on our perspective of suffering. We often say that... Um, when someone who's a believer is called, is called to be with God, it's a cause for joy for the one who's, who's departed. Um, the suffering is for those who are left behind, as we often, we often think. But it's a cause for joy to be called home, to be with God. So we have this different perspective. And similarly with, with other sufferings, we have the benefit of perspective from God. Um, simply to say that from the passage we've been looking at today, we understand to some extent why suffering must happen. We don't obviously know the, the full reason why, why God allows certain sufferings to happen, but we have this idea that there's a, the world is in a broken state and we can contrast that with, with what we know is to come when everything will be renewed. So as Christians, we can, we can say whenever we're going through suffering, how much sweeter will heaven be for those who have suffered greatly in this life? So yes, we're part of creation. Yes, we're part of the suffering of creation. But we have this broader perspective 
that one day all will be made, made right. We also have suffering in a different sense, though, as Christians. We have a suffering that's unique to Christians. Um, to be a Christian means to be at odds with the world that we live in. Um, again, David made reference to this last week, saying that there are times in what we believe will be completely will completely go against the wisdom of the world. We were thinking a few weeks ago about this idea of the foolishness of God, in quotes, versus the wisdom of the world. <clears throat> and we know, don't we, that there are many in this world who think about the things that we believe and they think of them as foolishness. And because of that, we as Christians will encounter opposition. We might encounter suffering or persecution of some kind. And it's, it's a unique kind of suffering to those who, who claim to be followers of Christ. Um, we, read, we read in verse 23 um, the word groan. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And to me the sense to groan has the sense of straining under a heavy load. Um, perhaps one that we can only bear for a short time. And in a sense, this is how we're to view our position in this world. As we say, yes, there will be times when being a Christian involves hardship. Um, and with God's help, we will need to demonstrate strength and resilience to, to get through that. But we are assured that it's for a short time. That this time of difficulty is the blink of an eye compared with what awaits us in the future. So yes, we groan under this, this temporary load that we were thinking about, this, this heavy load. But it's for a short time and we're, we're assured that one day it will be taken away from us. And also, we can get courage from the fact that when we suffer for Christ's sake, rather than just a general suffering experienced in a broken world, we're to see it as an honour. Acts chapter 5 and verses 40 to 41 has this idea of Suffering disgrace for the name. It says, They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So we can simply see there that it's a privilege to suffer for the name of Christ. And if we do go through that kind of suffering, whilst we're here on this earth, we can consider it an honour and we can rejoice as the early disciples did in Acts. So it's something to, to bear in mind as we're, as we're um, living out our lives as Christians in this world, perhaps encountering opposition or suffering. We know that it's, it's something to rejoice about because it's a privilege to suffer for the name of Christ. So we've considered this idea that we're in a broken world, subjected to frustration, and we've thought about the idea that we, as believers, grown inwardly as we wait for um, the coming day when, when Christ will return. And now we'll, finally we'll turn to this idea of hope. The hope that's mentioned in verses 20 to 21. The hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So we'll just have a look at what that means for us in the last few minutes that we've got. Just to say, first of all, just a quick comment on that word hope. Um, in the New Testament and other places in, in God's word, the word hope is often used to speak about future things. <coughs> and perhaps we use it in a different sense in our day-to-day -day usage of the word hope. 
We might say, I hope it doesn't rain, meaning we don't want it to rain, but it might well, it might well rain. Um, but an alternative definition, which is, is perhaps more useful for us here, um, an alternative definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. So the key word there is expectation, and it's, it's a better definition for us for, for what we're looking at. Um, we're fully expectant that the things we're, we're considering will come to pass. So when we say hope, it's not, it's not a kind of fingers crossed hope. It's, it's the idea that we're looking ahead to something and we're expectant for it to, to come to us. So what is the, the hope then that's spoke about here? First of all, we read that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And that's just simply the idea that the universe and the world and everything in it will be renewed. We've thought about the brokenness of creation, but now we consider the fact that one day all things will be made anew. Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then verse 4 of that same chapter, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then again in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 13, But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. So, a few key, key verses there, a few clear verses that say, that this is a reality, that one day we'll know, that all things will be made anew. So it's just an assurance to us that the suffering and the pain of this world, the brokenness of this world will be no more, and righteousness will reign instead. We read Second Peter 3 and 13, where he talks about a new heaven and new, a new earth. But in the verses just before that, we read that he says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. So that's our instruction, isn't it? We, we're told that things will be made anew. This current world will be, um, will be remade into something else. And as a result of that, with that in mind, um, we're encouraged to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. So as we thought, we, um, God has a plan for his creation going right back to before the fall. And yes, all creation must be subject to frustration for now, but one day, all these things will be made new. And this gives us a perspective on suffering, doesn't it? We don't have to put ourselves at the centre of everything. We don't have to, to wallow or to, to think, why me? Why is God doing these things? Because it's not just about us and our experience now. It's about God's plan for all things, stretching all the way back to the fall and right into to future days when all will be made new again. But we have that, um, that instruction in Second Peter to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to that day. So, first of all, we have that idea that all things will be made new. And then secondly, in considering the hope that we're, we're reading about, we have this idea of our adoption to sonship. We read in verse 23... Um, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan e inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, 
So what does that mean, the first fruits of the Spirit? Um, the well-known hymn says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his Spirit, washed in his blood. I think that idea of foretaste is really helpful for considering what this, these couple of verses mean. When we think of the first fruits of the Spirit, we think of our experience um, in this world now with the Spirit indwelling us and um, the things that result from that. And that in itself is a foretaste of what's to come and a foretaste of what it means to be children of God. Um, we're already heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ as we've been thinking, um, as we thought last week. Co-heirs with Christ. And it's amazing that we could be co-anything with the Son of God, isn't it? But we're told that we're already heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we have a foretaste of what's to come. And perhaps this is the, the first fruits that are spoken about in, in this verse. Um, we experience the Spirit indwelling us even now. Although we can and we do suppress that and we, we do our own things instead of, of listening to the Spirit. We do nevertheless experience the Spirit indwelling us even now. Um, and again, to, to think on that idea of first fruits, when we see a tree budding, we know that we can expect to see something much more magnificent coming through. Perhaps fruit or flowers or, or whatever else, but it will soon come to full fruition and it will be abundant. So we see something much more magnificent than the initial first fruits. Perhaps we could say that the first fruits of the Spirit that we experience in, in our life here on earth are just a tiny glimpse of what's to come, and it's a reminder to us of the promise of our salvation. So that idea of first fruits is just, just telling us that, yes, we have a taste of it now, but one day we'll have something much more magnificent and much more, more um, full in our experience of being adopted sons of God. So finally, we'll just consider that idea of adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, as we read in verse 23. Um, perhaps the best way to think of this is it's the fullness of being reconciled to God. So it, it will no longer be a foretaste, but we'll be with God in our new bodies, and it will be um, such a real and such a full experience of ours to be reconciled to God in this way. And this is our amazing hope as we read in, in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And this is the hope that we're waiting for, that, that fullness of adoption to sonship with God. Um, no longer just a, a taste as we get on this earth, but the full experience of a new body and being in the presence of God for all eternity. And this is so crucial for us to, to grasp if we want to be effective Christians in, in this world. Um, this waiting, this watching and waiting, should be the backdrop to everything that we do. And it's so easy for us, isn't it, to lose sight of it, to just immerse ourselves in the present, perhaps even getting immersed in the, the sufferings that we're going through, or, or um, whatever it may be, immersing ourselves in the present and forgetting about that, that future perspective. But we know that part of waiting patiently is being watchful, so it's not a passive thing. It's not sitting around and waiting for Jesus to come back. We're readying ourselves day by day and living with that eternal perspective in mind that we've been thinking about. 
Um, the, but the hymn that I quoted before goes on to say, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. <clears throat> and that's the, the state that we should be in. As we look ahead to the day when, when Jesus is coming back, we should be watching and waiting, being ready for him to come back, but also filled with his goodness and lost in his love. So experiencing him in the here and now, immersing ourselves in his word and in, in, in prayer with him, and just looking forward to that day when we'll realise the fullness of adoption to sonship and being, being called to be with God forever. So that, that's, um, that's some things that we can get from this passage. There's obviously a whole lot more, but just to recap, we, we read that the whole of creation is, is currently bound to decay. We, we see that in verse 21. And we're included in that as believers, as part of God's creation. And we must endure these present sufferings and a few more sufferings um, as followers of Jesus will, will be ours as well. But a time will come when the pain will cease and the suffering will cease. Creation will be liberated and will come into the full realisation of what it means to be adopted to sonship and children of God. Let's pray. <clears throat>